This morning, uh, if you're visiting with us, we're, we're in the midst of this sermon series on James. And, you know, I like to, I think about James and I kind of think about a, uh, like a, a three-course meal. You know, often uh, you, you jump into a meal and like we, we the, the appetizers are the good stuff, right? Like the, that's, that's like, you can have a couple bites and really enjoy it. And we've had a few of those Sundays with James. And uh, there's other parts of the meal where you can get into the dessert and like that, that cake is sweet and it just, just, nails it at the end of the dessert. And then there's, there's other parts of the meal that are really, really meaty, right? That are, are steak and potatoes. And this morning, we're gonna chew on some steak. Okay, we're gonna chew on some steak. We're gonna turn to what is the, the main theme of James' entire letter. And I would argue also probably, if not the main theme, one of the main themes of our faith. And we're gonna turn to James' Chapter 2, we're going to read verses 14 to 26. James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26 uh, together. So let's hear now the word of the Lord. James says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not faith alone. And in the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. So picture with me a, a skyrise fire in downtown Manhattan. And hanging from the third floor is a, a man desperately waving his hands back and forth as this smoke billows overhead. And he can't get to the apartment door because it's covered in flames. He leans out the window and as he does this, he, he sees this, uh, th this group of, of, of makeshift volunteers, about a dozen of them below. He knows this is his last resort. And someone's found a blanket and they've pulled it high and tight and all he needs to do is let go. He'll be saved. The crowd is begging and pleading for them to trust in them. He believes that they'll catch him, but acting on his belief is an entirely different thing, isn't it? As I said, the, the main theme of this letter that James penned to this church is faith. What is faith? Just in this lesson alone, James refers to that word 10 times, faith, faith, faith. You know, that word gets tossed around a lot these days. It's almost become a casual part of our parlance. I have faith that tomorrow the sun will rise. 
I have faith that when I step into the grocery store this afternoon, there will be food for me to eat. We tell our children, I, I have faith in you. You can do this. We drive down the road having faith that the person coming at us will stay in the same lane as we do ours. When James talks about faith in this lesson, you, you know he's talking about something far greater, far more eternal, far more significant than our casual usage of that word, faith. In fact, James is talking directly about our faith in Christ. And as I said, the passage that we just read together is, is really the main theme of the entire book. All the other verses of this letter hinge on this passage. And for James, as he sits down to write this thing, fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says, when it comes to that word, there's really two very specific and diverging definitions for the follower of Christ. There's two very separate categories, separate kinds of faith that we need to contend with and understand as God's people. One will inevitably lead to our destruction. The other will save us. And the first definition that, that James gives us for that word, let's look at this up on the screens, that word faith is that of a dead faith. He says, faith without works is dead. It's a faith that looks good. It's a faith that claims to be, that, that sounds right, it fits the part, but it is not. It is a non-existent faith. It's, it's nominal, it's, it's apathetic. It's what some have called the carnal faith. It's an all talk and no action kind of Faith And therefore, James says it's lifeless and it, it never took root. And then James moves on. He says, there's a second kind of faith. And this, this second faith James wants us to understand is, is the polar opposite of the first. By his own words, this is a saving faith. And if James were to describe this saving faith, he would say, this is a faith that is proven by the fact that it's alive and it's moving. It carries with it evidence and significance. It's, it's a faith that is accompanied by works. Those works prove its existence. And James says, if you, if you want to see a real and authentic faith, a faith that saves, you will see it by its action. And so if we keep with the Manhattan example, you know, I'm, I'm sure this breaks down somewhere, but just go with me on this. A dead faith is that which sees the blanket below us, knows that the blanket will catch our fall, but it's a faith that stays in the window and never moves. A saving faith is that which lets go. It's proven now by the evidence of action. And the caution for us, James says, is that a faith without works is dead. Look at this in verse 14. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but not works, can faith save him? The operative word for, for this, this, this word works or, or action in the Greek, it's ergon. It, it literally means obedience to God's law. That is to say, um, if, if I have faith but, but no concern for God's word or his will in my life, I may not have ever had faith at all. And the question James wants to pose as he, as he pins this letter to this, this church in its infancy is, which faith are you living? Are you living the dead faith? or the saving faith. You know, one of the great pillars of, of our Protestant Christendom is, are the words sola fide. Say that with me, sola fide. Sola fide, it means faith alone. That is, if you were to put your faith in Christ, if you believe that on the cross, Jesus atoned for your sins, and you declare that to be true, that is enough. 
That's what we confess, right? We didn't just come up with this on our own. The Bible's super clear on this. Look at this in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. It says this outright. For by grace you have been saved, how? Through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's, it's a gift of God, not a result of your works, so that no one can boast. The Bible's clear, right? That works do not save you. They cannot save you. We are saved by God's grace through faith alone. And yet, if you open our passage this morning, as we just did, James throws us a ringer. Because it sounds as though he says the opposite. Look again in verse 26. He says, that faith, apart from works, is dead. Which leaves us then with this predicament. Are we saved by faith or are we saved by works? And this is not a lofty question, right? This is not some academic exercise. This is a life and death kind of question. Are we saved by our belief in God's salvation in Christ or is there something more? I'm going to answer this right off the bat because I don't want any confusion. Um, and I, I want to do this really with two points. I want to make two points and, and have us cling to these really tightly, both of them together. The first one is this. We are saved by faith alone. Scripture is clear about that. Time and time again, true salvation comes from our faith in Christ alone. The Bible couldn't be any more clear on this. In fact, we could pull all kinds of verses. I'll throw one more at you. Romans 5.1, it reinforces this point. Being justified how? By faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is what saves us, right? Faith is what justifies us before the judge. It what makes us holy before the Holy One. But if that's true, here's the second part. This is the important part. If it's an authentic faith, if it's a saving faith, it is proven by its action. It's shown by God's works. All other faiths, James says, is, is pointless. It never was. And I think the challenge for us is that we live in a, a day, and day and age in the church where we want to separate those two ideas entirely, right? Where we're told, at least as I was in youth group, that if, if you just say the prayer and you come forward and you raise your hand, you're saved forever, that's the evidence of your salvation, that prayer. Now you know you're in God's kingdom. And yet the hard reality of this lesson is James would kind of beg to differ. James would say, yes, it, it begins with putting your faith in Christ, but if you're looking for evidence of your salvation, it is in your works. It moves to action. See, we love the part recently in the church where the, the sinner says the prayer and comes to faith, and we should, but we seldom get to the part where Jesus says, now, take up your cross and follow me. We love the part where we're saved from, but we often skip the part where we're saved for. And make no mistake about this, James wants this early church to know that a, a faith without action is dead. It's null and void. It, it never existed. It's the, it's the kind of faith that you claimed that you thought you had, but here's the tough part. Never did. Which I think should make us a bit easy, I think, right? In fact, James gives us an example of this. Keep going with this. Look at this in verse 15. If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, but you fail to give them things needed for the body, what good is that? It's a life of all talk, no action. See, there apparently were those in this assembly, assumably, that had learned the Christianese, right? They could talk the pious talk. They, they had convinced everyone around them of their, their faith, but it never existed. They'd say things like, go in peace, 
mean, that was the most sacred thing you could say in this early church, right? Shalom, peace be with you. Or they would say things that sounded really generous and kind, like be warmed and be, be filled. And yet all the while, their brothers and sisters are lacking. They, they have nothing. And James points out that this piety, this, this religious fluff, is just a concealment for your failure to act. That kind of faith, a faith without fruit or without action, a faith without works is dead. Reminds me of the story of Jesus and the, the fig tree. Remember that story? In Mark's gospel, um, Jesus had just left Bethany for Jerusalem and, and he was hungry, right? Fully human, fully God. His stomach's probably gurgling and he sees in the distance this fig tree and he goes up to this, this tree to see if it had any fruit for, for his provision. But, but as he gets closer, he realizes there's nothing of substance on these branches, right? Just dried up dead leaves, no fruit at all. And it's one of the few times in scripture where we see Jesus actually curse something. He says, may no one ever eat of you again. In other words, the tree's useless, right? Without fruit, what, what is it? And likewise, James says he wants his readers to understand that even though works don't save you, works reveal you. They are the, the evidence of either a saving faith in your life or a, a dead faith. Jonathan Edwards was a, a man you know of many great revivals and the greatest revival in, in the history of this country. And he brought thousands to their knees with, with, his, uh, with his preaching. But years later, the, the church sort of did a, a survey of the land, right, of the, of the people. And they realized, man, all these people claim to have come to faith and yet none of them are, are living the life. You know, they would frequent the bars more than they would frequent the pew. Or their, their business practices were, were reeking of, of worldliness and deceit. Their, their reputation was preceding them and in all the wrong ways. So Edwards, he sets out to, to address this. And look at this up on the screens. He wrote something called the Treatise on Religious Affections. This is what he said. He said, the supreme proof of your true conversion is holy affections, zeal for holy things, longings after God, longings after his holiness, desires for purity. In other words, the proof of a saving faith is a transformed heart. I mean, think about this. The Holy Spirit does not enter a believer and say, this'll do, this is good enough. I think we'll set up shop here today. I mean, the blinds are a little dirty. No one's picked up the trash in weeks. The sewage is overflowing. The, the roof is leaking. But I'll dwell here. This'll, this'll work. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit says, if I'm gonna dwell in you, it's time to start throwing this clutter out of your life. Right? And start moving and changing things. Pastor Brian and I were mulling this over earlier this week, and I really liked his analogy. You know, he's a, a good con artist can, can get really good at the language and looking the part, right? They can put on the doctor's coat and talk the talk. They can convince you they've been to med school, maybe even convince themselves. But when the operating doors close and the, the tech puts the scalpel in their hands, well, we now know if they're a doctor or not. Look at this in verse 18. Now he's gonna enter into an argument. He says, well, someone would say, well, I have faith, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You know, this is the world we live in, right? You do me, I'll do me. You do you, I'll do me. You can focus on works, that's fine. I'll focus on faith, and none, none shall the two pass. But James says, no, he says, you, you can't have one without the other. 
I like how this scholar said it. He said, faith and works are inseparable. They're as inseparable as sun and sunlight. Faith is the sun. Good works are its rays. But let me step into dangerous territory. I'll give you another one. I think I failed high school chemistry, so let's see if this pans out okay, but check me on this. You know, if you just ate sodium, it has the potential to kill you, right? Sodium is an unstable and a reactive metal. It comes with water, it explodes. If you just ate chlorine, that, that too would mean death, right? That too is, is poison. But when the two comes together, what do we get? Table salt. And now it gives flavor. Now there's nourishment given by our, to our bodies. James says faith and work are inseparable. A, a claimed faith by itself will get you nowhere. Faith without action is dead. By the same token, Jesus said what? You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its saltiness, what good is that? See, we should be clear here. There's, there's really two sides of the pendulum when it comes to this, this talk and our salvation, right? The one, I'm going to use a big word here. The one is called something antinomianism, which is really just a, a big word for dead faith. It means anti, against, nomos, the law. Antinomianism is a, a lifestyle that says, you know what? I, I have Christ. I don't need the law. I don't need to obey. There's no obedience in my life. This is a life where, where you prayed the prayer and took the Bible home, but nothing changed. There's no evidence of transformation. Your, your priorities never shifted. Your, your relationships look the same. There's nothing different about your life. It's the kind of attitude Jesus quoted when he said, these people honor with me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And James sounds the alarm against this, 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 this lack of, of law and obedience in people's lives. He says, Jesus said it like this. He said, you will know a prophet from a false prophet by the fruit that they bear. And so to clarify, we're given two examples. Look at this in verse 21. He says, just look at Abraham. Look at Abraham. Now at the time, everyone would have known Abraham's story. He was the hero of the Jewish faith. Abraham had, had, had this command from God to sacrifice his son, his one and only son. And James says two things happen in his life. First, he puts his faith in the Lord. Look at this in verse 23. Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Faith came first. But second, his faith now takes on legs. Look at this in verse 22. But that faith, James says, was active along with his works. He, he put his faith into action. And it's not that Abraham is perfect, right? It's not that Abraham would look back over his life and see that everything was, was put together and, and well. That was not the test. It's that Abraham can look back and see pieces of evidence of his faith in action. You cannot have faith and ignore God's will and purposes in your life. Those two things are impossible. See, but right here, we've got to be careful because if, if you just st stay there on, on, on the, the part about following Jesus with no law, that's dangerous, but you can slip all the way to the other pendulum too, which is something called legalism, and that is all law. Now, if the first is faith divorced from work, then legalism is a focus only on work, right? Which is just as dangerous. Stay with me here, right? Legalism is the lie that I have to now earn my salvation, that works save me. And we do this all the time too. We, we think as a church, we, we have to serve the church or, or serve the poor to make up for the sins of my past. In my shame or in my inadequacy, I've got to somehow earn God's graces again. It's, it's a chloride without sodium kind of faith. And that too is a dead faith. There's nothing we can do apart from Christ 
to earn our salvation. God said, even your great deeds are like filthy rags to me. See, our works do not merit points for heaven, right? They are evidence of God's merit already in us. Let me say that again. Our works do not merit points for heaven. They are evidence of God's merit already in us. And so to prove the point, James gives a much more infamous example. He says, just look at Rahab. She was the worst of society, right? She was a prostitute. She was the, a chief among sinners. She was the opposite of Abraham. And you might remember her story, right? Joshua had sent pro spies into the, the promised land to check out and do some recon on the enemy. And they find this local woman and she hides them from the adversaries and then she sneaks them over the wall. And James says, if you read our passage, those works justified her. And immediately you can think legalism. Well, she was saved by her works. But again, turn to Joshua 2.11 and look at this. We'll have it up on the screens here too. Look at what she says. For the Lord your God, he is God of heavens above and on earth below. First she declares her faith, then she lets him in a basket down over the wall. And in this life, we are living one of two faiths, either a dead faith or a saving faith. Either a faith that says, I've got Christ, I don't need the law, or a faith that says, well, I'm just gonna reside on my own works, both dead faiths, or a saving faith. Go be salt of the earth faith. See, the evidence of a, a saving faith is a faith that works. Just as the water turns on when we turn the faucet, so God's turning a hardened heart brings action. And James says, if you wanna know which one you're clinging to, the saving faith or the dead faith, it begins with an examination of your life. Paul calls us to, to do this frequently, to examine ourselves. Look at this in verse 19, how James says it. He says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that. It's one thing to believe in the existence of God. It's another thing entirely to put your trust in him. It's kind of like that man hanging out the window. Right? It's one thing to say, well, I believe in the idea of the blanket or I believe in the, the goodness of the people below. But it's another thing entirely to put your saving faith in Christ. And in so doing, when you do, your life will never be the same. James goes on, he says, for a body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. I told you we're chewing on steak this morning. It's not an easy word, right? You know, if you're wondering, okay, then how can I know that I'm saved? I'm, I'm looking back over my life and, and my life is a train wreck, right? I, it's covered in sin. I'd say this, I'd say two things. I'm doing a lot of two things this morning. Here's two things on that thought. First, this is not a lesson on perfectionism, right? This is a lesson on sanctification. We should look back over our lives and see evidence of God moving in us. You cannot have faith without having that. But second, if this passage leaves you uneasy, then I think I've done my job. Because I would much rather have you sitting in this place, ready to return to God, than having just said the Apostles' Creed and say, that's good enough for me. I'm, I'm in the gates of the pearly heaven. See, God promises us that for the one who truly believes, for the one who has put their faith in Christ, he who began a good work in you is seeing it through to completion. We should look back over the evidence of our lives and see God's work moving in and through us. This is God's promise. It's a gift to us. That's how you find assurance of your salvation. His work is in you. It's begun in you. I'll close with the, 
the greatest call that Jesus ever gave his church called the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's gospel. Many of us have, have memorized it. it. was standing before the disciples before his ascension. What did he say? He said, go and make disciples of all nations. We love that part. But there's a part two. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Faith without works is dead. Let's ask God to search our hearts and to put our faith into action. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for the moments where your word challenges us. So God, we just ask this week that you would slow us down, help us to take stock in our lives, to, to look back and, and truly examine ourselves. To be sure that we're not just going through the motions. God, we ask that you would reveal to us those, those places where, of transformation where we can look back and see that you have done a good work in us. That our deeds prove our faith. And Lord, we pray right now, if, if if they're absent, if there's any doubt in us, Lord, would you help us make us to return to you? God, we pray that you would help us to live a faith, to live your word. Lord, not just in thought, but in deed. God, help us not to just know it, but to, to be changed by it, to live it. God, such that others would see your good work in us and come to faith in you too. Lord, we pray for that movement in our lives. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.